Uh, there's a couple of scriptures that I want to read as we get ready for uh, the message this morning. Uh, neither of them are the text of the message, but they illustrate the particular verse that we're going to dive into. The first one is found in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel chapter 6 is an incredible account of the integrity and righteousness of a man named Daniel. And it reads like a story of what happens next. Because 15 times in these verses, the word then is used. And it just keeps you going and answers the question, well, this happens next. We're only going to read the first five verses of Daniel 6, and then we're going to jump over uh, to another passage in the New Testament. Daniel 6, verses 1 to 5. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And then if you turn over also in your Bibles then to Matthew chapter 4, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It's the first book in the New Testament. And I... We'll read, as I said, the first 11 verses of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Father, we come before you today, and uh, we are so thankful for the characteristic of integrity, for the confidence that we can have in your word, and for the confidence that comes from knowing that it does matter how we live and that we all live before
before the audience of one who watches us and who guides us and who cares for us and who helps us and is concerned with the struggles we face. And you tell us that no temptation is, is more than we can handle. But with every temptation we face, you will provide a way of escape. And I thank you that we saw that way of escape, or at least we, we heard about it in Daniel, and we realized that he took that escape route. And I am thank you for Jesus and the fact that he took the escape route, which was through your word. I pray you'll be with Pastor Barry as he opens up a proverb to us and uh, talks with us and uh, tells us about and explains to us a matter of integrity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, you'll find it right in the middle of your Bible to the right of the Psalms. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3 this morning. In a very basic sermon, I don't want to insult you or to bore you, but a very, very basic sermon on the Christian life. And it is along the lines of our ongoing series which focuses on the broader theme that we have seen as a church that God is real and that changes everything. And which we, in that theme, develop the question over and over again, not just the answer to what is faith, but what does faith look like? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Lord, please bless your word. May it resonate. May it ring with authority in our lives here today. You'll see in the text, obviously, a contrast, one that we're very familiar with in the world in which we live, sometimes one that we're familiar with in our own lives. Things that we're familiar with from our experience of, of relationships in the past and dealings with different people in the past, that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. I've long realized personally that this verse speaks. As a young man, this is a verse that came onto my radar, and it's something that I have gone to over and over again and desired that it be something that is fulfilled in my own life. As I've recognized that there is in this verse something of tremendous value, and I'm going to focus specifically on the positive part of the verse this morning, that the integrity of the upright guides them. And what is of, I hope, obvious value, obvious to you, value here, is first of all, simply the idea of guidance. We need it in so many areas of life, and this verse speaks of guidance. The integrity of the upright guides them. We need guidance in our homes. We need guidance in how to live. We need guidance in how to think. We need guidance in how to speak. We need guidance in the world today. We need guidance in times of crisis. We're living in the midst of a worldwide crisis right now, and we need guidance. We're transitioning from the question of how do we get through a pandemic, uh, transitioning to the question now of how do we live with a pandemic, which is a very different question. And we need guidance for that as individuals, and we need guidance for that as a church and it won't look the same for all of us this isn't law-based guidance that proverbs introduces us to it's wisdom-based guidance and it comes from an integrity that flows from uprightness 
But we need that kind of guidance, and it won't look the same for all of us. All of our lives are a little bit different, and we're not going to be the same in the way that we're directed to live in the midst of, of a pandemic. But what does need to be the same in all of our lives, that we're guided by something that transcends something that is merely our opinion, that transcends our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties or our political ideas or whatever, but that we be the same in that, that we're guided by an integrity that comes from uprightness. It is also uh, something also of tremendous value in the text is that simple notion of integrity. I hope you can see how desirable that is. Integrity is something that we need. We need it in our lives. We need it in the world in which we live. We need it in our homes. We need it in our churches. We need it in our government. We need it in our culture. We need it in all of our relationships. Guidance and integrity, two very, very significant and important things. And I hope that, that these things put a finger on a yearning in your own heart that where you, it resonates with you and say, yes, that is exactly what I want. I want integrity in, the, in my own life. I want integrity in the world in which I live. And I, I want that guidance that comes from that integrity. This is the main point that I want to demonstrate uh, from the text this morning. And it is this, that all Christians, and I mean that all Christians, not some Christians, not Baptist Christians, not North American Christians, not black or white Christians, but all Christians are guided by an integrity that is consistent with an uprightness which the gospel freely gives to us. That uprightness is a gospel issue, and we have to understand the gospel first and foremost. But that upright is and gives us an integrity that guides us, and it comes from that uprightness, our identity in God, which is a peculiar identity in God. That is our peculiar identity in God, is our uprightness, and it is a faithful guide when there is integrity with it. That is a specific kind of integrity. There are all kinds of different ways in which we need integrity, but this specifically is Christian integrity of which I speak of from the text this morning. The integrity of the upright guides them. But it is an integrity that works everywhere. It works. I hope you have that conviction about the Christian life, that it works. And it works to make us thrive. And Christian integrity that comes from being guided by uprightness, it works. It works in our home. I hope you trust it. It works in our relationships. It works in our business. It works in our friendships. It works in our marriage. It works in our sexuality. And it works in times of crisis. And we desperately need it. Let me define the word of integrity. First of all, for you children, let me give you a, a children's version, definition of the word integrity. It might be new to you if you've never heard the word before. If you're a child or if you're not a child, this is the most simple definition. Integrity is when people do what is right because of something that is true. When people do what is right because of something that is true. In other words, you share what you have because it is true that God owns everything. And you forgive people when they're cruel to you because it is true that God has forgiven you and you don't deserve it. Here's the definition I have for for the adults, it is also very, very simple. A definition of integrity, that Christian integrity is the life and character that is consistent 
with the gospel? I hope that's a question that you're asking all the time in your life. Is this life, is, is this life that I, I live, my actions, my behavior, my attitude, is it becoming with the gospel and the glory of God and for his reputation? But that is what Christian integrity is, is a life that, and character that is consistent with the gospel. It is very, very simple, but it is a daily discipline. And so speaking of something that is so very, very basic today, but sometimes the basic things are the most important things. My dad used to say, this isn't rocket science. And I, I think that was just for my, my father, the epitome of, of somebody who was intellectual. And integrity is not rocket science. It's a, it's a large category of thinking and of text all through the scripture that is expounded over and over and over again in so many different ways. Paul alluded it to it this morning when he spoke about justification and sanctification in our catechism question. It is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is the fear of the Lord that gives us wisdom. It is a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. It is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is knowing that all things may be permissible, but not all things are profitable. It is Hebrews chapter 10 of having our consciences washed and made clean. It is 1 Peter chapter 1 where, where people are described as purifying their souls by obedience to the truth. You know, amazing description of integrity. People who purify their souls by adherence to the truth. That's 1 Peter 1.22. It's Ephesians chapter 4 not being tossed to and fro, but having a faithful guide. Uh, and integrity is indeed a faithful guide. It's what I have in mind when I pray for myself, but also when I, when I pray for you, when I pray for this church, when I pray for God's people, that the integrity of the upright would guide them. When I pray for renewal, and many of you, I know you pray, you're, you're before God and you're asking God for awakening. You're asking God for renewal. And this is it. This is what we're praying for. First of all, that we would understand all that the gospel declares to us about himself and this identity of uprightness, which is freely given to us. And then finding all of the paths all of the paths, not some of them, not, not choosing one or two, but all of the paths, paths that consistently align with what is freely given to us in the gospel, which is that uprightness. That is the awakening. That is what Christians, that we need to be woken up to over and over again in the world in which we live, that we would be like a city on a hill that can't be hidden, that we wouldn't put the light under a bushel, but that it would be clearly visible for people to see it. The integrity of the upright guides them. An example of this in the last three months of preaching, Pastor Paul has led us to the, through this truth that God owns everything. I already alluded to this in the children's question. And the, the, the truth that God owns everything isn't first and foremost a stewardship issue. It's a gospel issue. 
There would be no gospel if God did not have the authority to speak to the world because he owns it. He created it. He, he made it, and he owns it. God owns everything. That is a gospel issue. And learning how to use our money is simply finding the path of integrity that flows from that simple truth. And that's what we've been really focusing on for these last three months is a simple question as what is the integrity to the truth that God owns everything? How we think and how we live and act in culture is so significant as Christians that we would be guided in our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, and the many cultural issues that we're facing in our world today with an integrity, and not with our own ideas, our own opinions, but with an integrity that comes from our uprightness. And we do have very pressing issues in the world, in cultural issues in the world that are, are very heated. People are hating one another. People are divided, and Christians as well, on one side of opinions and, 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 and the other. And there is a tremendous need for a kind of unity and integrity in God's people. Do you ever wonder, as I have, why, why don't Christians think more alike? Why don't Christians have more of a, a consistent way of approaching the things that we face in the world? And I think this is the answer, that the integrity of the upright guides them. That is our proximity to uprightness and our consciousness of it as a faithful guide that will bring us together. In not to be the same, but to be the same in this, in all of our different ways in which we live. I was on one of the Gulf Islands here in British Columbia recently and, and got off a boat and approached up the dock to a, a resort area and I found a sign on the dock that, that, that said this. It was a, a play on the, the pandemic issues right now. It says, if you are showing any symptoms, if you are showing any symptoms of racism, showing any symptoms of sexism or homophobia, please do not enter the building. And a reminder, isn't it, of the heated ways in which our culture is engaging in particular subjects. And we need a path. We need a guide. And there is a path for us. But it is not rooted in our own wisdom. It's not rooted in our tribe or where we're from. It's not rooted in the color of our skin. It's not rooted in our gender. It's not rooted in our political identity, our political ideas. Nor can our guidance left to be anything else. There is a, a, a guidance is necessary. I mean, we're guided by something. There's a vacuum in our life if we aren't intentionally guided by something. And the, the things that fill that vacuum often are the things that are so very, very, very ever-present in our lives, our insecurities. Let me stop and make this clarification. When I use the word integrity, integrity is not perfection. Okay? When I speak of Christians walking and living with integrity, when I say, when I, when I go to your funeral, there'll probably maybe only be six of us there now, but when I go to your funeral, and they say, this is a person who walked with integrity. What is not meant by that, that here is a person who never failed. What is not meant by that is, here is a person who was perfect in everything they ever did or they ever said. So don't misunderstand me. Integrity, Christian integrity, is not perfection. 
What Christian integrity is, is that in failure, consistently, there also, even in failure, that there is something that aligns and is consistent with the gospel. That we own it. If we fail somebody, we go to them and we say, I have failed you. Will you please forgive me? That is integrity. And all of us are, when we speak of integrity, don't misunderstand that. We're not expecting, we're not disappointed when people fail as a complete absence of integrity. But integrity is responding, how do you feel? Like David. David was a person of integrity. He was also a person of tremendous failure. But consistently, David, when confronted with his sin, showed his consistency, showed his integrity by falling on his face before the Lord and repenting. Let me show you how it works and give you a couple of biblical examples. Those have already been read from the book of Daniel and from the book of Manuel, uh, Matthew. There are two things that are identified in the text. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, says the integrity of the upright guides them. The first one is an identity. The second one is the guidance. Integrity, or the, yeah, the identity and the guidance are the two things that are identified in the text. An identity is that of being upright. That is critical to understand in all of its gospel fullness because everything flows from that identity to understand it, to examine it, to embrace it, to surrender to it, to live in it. And it, it, you can't take a step forward here. You can't go uh, even a, a moment further in Christian integrity because it, it's completely aligned with your identity. You know what alignment means? That's, that's a great word for integrity, something that is consistent with something. Uh, if, you, if your car doesn't drive right, perhaps it's out of alignment. Or if you can't walk, perhaps your back is out of alignment. And you know very, very clearly uh, what the word alignment means in, in those two issues. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. Sometimes it's pretty clear in the things that we say, the things that we do, that our, our life is out of, out of an alignment with an identity that God gives us. And that identity is uprightness. The second thing is the guidance that comes from and corresponds to that identity. That is integrity. When our guidance comes from that identity. Now, it begins with the gospel. That identity begins with the gospel. And the gospel declares to us a new identity. This is where uprightness comes from. Don't think that it's merely something that we do. It's something that we are. And we use the word uprightness beginning with the gospel lest we fall into pride. We are a people who are nowhere close to being upright, nowhere close to being righteous, where God declares to us in the gospel to be made perfect in God's eyes as he gives to us, as he confers upon us the privilege and the right of being child of God. I love when Hebrews chapter 4 says, draw near, draw near to God, There's to a holy and perfect God. We have the confidence to draw near to because of what he has conferred upon us in Jesus Christ. In other words, uprightness is something that we are 
before it is something that we do. What we do is not our identity. Our identity must never come from what we do. Our identity is who we are in Christ. And our behavior flows from that identity. What we do flows from what we are made to be. I hope you enjoyed the new song we sang this morning that James led us in. And it begins with these, it uses the word list. And it's such a, a great reminder because we're list keepers, aren't we? either list keepers of ourselves or or list keeper of the person who lives in our house or the person beside us. But that we sang this morning, no list of sins that I have not done, no list of virtues I pursue, no list of those I am not like. I think I've had a list like that before. None of those lists can earn myself a place with you. See, it's by faith. It's by faith that we embrace and and are given the identity of uprightness and it comes from the gospel and now i'm going to go really basic i'm going to go really simple and not make any assumptions and i'm going to define the word gospel i've had many conversations with people recently they're talking about the word gospel because they've seen it on, on the internet somewhere and a lot of conversations about what the gospel is not and Unfortunately, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of things in our evangelical culture that the gospel is not. But be careful. It's a bit of a rabbit hole you can fall into, and you can find yourself only ever answering or finishing a sentence this way. The gospel is not. The gospel is not. And that's good. You need to know what the gospel is not. But you know what's even more important? That you can say what the gospel is. And so I'm trying to practice this discipline in my own life personally to finish more sentences, not with the gospel is not, but finish the sentence with the gospel is. And so that's how, that's what this sentence is. It's not the definitive definition of the gospel, but it is a definition of the gospel. The gospel is the fullest possible declaration to us, the fullest possible. In other words, more than Adam knew, more than Noah knew, more than Abraham knew, more than than any of the prophets knew, more than Aaron knew in the temple, more than Moses knew on the mountain. It is the fullest possible declaration to us from God of his divine perfections. That's why Peter says you're a holy people and you exist to declare his excellencies who's called you out of darkness. A a declaration of excellency is what we have been given the calling of as people. So the fullest possible declaration of his divine perfections, which overflow to us, and they really do overflow to us in the name of Jesus. We will never plummet the bottom of it. We need the gospel every single day of our lives to continue to proclaim to us who we are in Christ, to call God Father every single day, to have that assurance and that confidence in what God has given to us. This is the gospel, and it overflows to us in Jesus, and it establishes us in a new identity. That's the gospel. We are children of God by his mercy, by faith alone, and we have this calling. We have this vocation. Yes, sometimes we feel the impulse to stay home because we need to be safe there, but don't stay home and neglect your calling. 
to be a light in this world and to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. This is where uprightness begins. It begins in Christ. And let me show you how that identity, that uprightness, not only establishes our assurance to have fellowship with the Holy God, but also establishes a guide for living. A guide for living. The integrity of the upright guides them. This identity can go anywhere in the world. Trust me, you can, you can take this identity anywhere, and it'll work. You can be a sailor and, and have this identity. You can be anything in this world and, take, and go anywhere, live in anything and through anything and take this identity with you. But it doesn't take a very long examination of the world to see that everywhere that we go as humans, we're such foolish people and such dark people that we do a lot of damage and we hurt one another, which is a simple way to describe there's a real lack of integrity in the world in which we live. We don't have it naturally. But the integrity of the upright guides them. God is real, and it really does change everything. See, our identity of uprightness leads us in a path of thriving and thriving. I hope you believe that. I hope that there's a, a, a trust in your God, that the path that he gives you by the identity of uprightness is a path of thriving. The scripture doesn't say that the name of the Lord is a dungeon and the religious fall into it. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. It is a place of thriving. And the way that it uh, enables us to strive, thrive or, or helps us thrive is by giving us wisdom. Wisdom related to our uprightness. Wisdom that, that corresponds to the the declarations of God's truth to us in what he has done to make us upright. And this is what uprightness does, how it gives us a guide. It establishes boundaries wherever we go, asking this question. The question is, what is consistent with my identity in Christ? always, forever, every day, asking the question of our life, of our speech, of our, of our character, and our relationships, and our business, and, and whatever we're doing. Is this consistent? Is there an alignment? Is there a consistency between, between the way that I think, the way that I'm speaking, and my identity in Christ? And it, and it, and it, and it puts boundaries around that. In other words, in, in everywhere you go, there will be some way where you can cross that boundary. And it's no longer consistent with who you are as a Christian. And that's how integrity guides us. The obvious examples, if you are living in a relationship with unforgiveness or unfaithfulness, you know that that lacks integrity. You're outside of, of the boundaries of your identity. Where we speak and where we act without humility. I could count probably the times today that I've done that. Or we lack kindness. It is outside of the boundaries of our identity. And so it lacks integrity. Every activity in, in life, in life context, has a boundary 
outside of which integrity is missing and our identity in Christ is compromised. Whether you wear a mask or not does not affect your capacity to live out your identity in Christ. I've been giving this some thought because I, just like you, I've got some opinions on masks. And I've, I've, I'm coming to terms with it. I think, well, is there anything that prohibits my identity in Christ? What's more significant is not whether I wear a mask or whether I don't wear a mask, but with the character with which I do wear a mask or I don't wear a mask. That is where the boundaries lie of my identity in Christ. The alternative is to be guided by something else. And at times our behavior is consistent not with the gospel, but it's consistent with other things by which we are manipulated. Sometimes even the desire to be popular. Or our fear of the future. And we do face real vulnerability of the danger of being coerced into particular ways, particular activities if we do not have a strong identity in Christ, knowing who we are. The two biblical examples, Daniel and Jesus, such wonderful exhibits of integrity, people who knew their God, people who walked in the integrity of knowing their God. In Daniel, it says there was an excellent spirit. And Daniel and Jesus, in the stories that were read, were both examined by people who hated them particularly Jesus. He was examined by the one who hated him. And both of them were found to be flawless, except in the ways in which they sought to please God. And for that, they were condemned. So, not only does integrity mean you won't be perfect, it also means you won't be popular. I find the example of Daniel particularly interesting as he, as you know, lived in Babylon and he was a leader in the country called the satraps. But what Daniel had for the scriptures was, this, was the books of Moses. And you can look, I've, I've looked, I'm sure maybe even Daniel looked. Look through the book of Moses and you will not find a single verse that God handed down to Moses on the mountain about how to be a good satrap in Babylon. And yet he was the best leader that there was, recognized for his skills and ability and, and promoter because he was the best that they possibly could be, although there, there wasn't a single word of actual guidance about it from God. You know, the same is true of living in a pandemic. You look through the New Testament and you won't find anything about how to live with COVID-19. But what we do find is we find an identity that God gives to us. And we find in that identity a path that guides us in all things with integrity. In Daniel and Jesus, what we see, I believe, first and foremost, is their surrender. There was, a, 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 there is a threshold of surrender that we must cross, a threshold of submission. In other words, it is the opposite of autonomy. I hope you know that autonomy is overrated. There is no more insecure place than you can possibly be than on your own. And there is no more secure place that you could possibly be. Even in a lion's den, even in the wilderness, facing the devil, there is no more secure place than you could ever be 
then aligns with a God who speaks objectively with authority as the owner of this world. They were also people who feared God above man. In other words, Daniel and Jesus are both examples of people who weren't concerned about their own reputation. They were concerned about God's reputation. And they would always be asking the question is, not what will make me popular, but what will make God popular? I'm sure that if you were to sit down and have an opportunity to, to meet either of these men when they walked on the earth, you would find them to be the nicest people imaginable. And so should you be, so should I be, the nicest people on our street. But what was true of both of these men, that what they sought was not your approval. What they sought was not your popularity. What they sought was the approval of God. We use the word Christ-like a lot, and I've been thinking a lot about, about that word. People say, well, this is what Jesus would do. Isn't that what Jesus would do? In all of the different ways, first of all, it perplexes me, in all of the different ways that that phrase is used, and I think, is, it, is, is, that, is that really the path of integrity? And I'm beginning to think about Christ-likeness in terms of this, that Jesus sought to be like Christ, is to seek the fame of the Father. That is what Christ did. That is what it would look like to live like Christ would be to seek the fame of the Father above his own, to live for his reputation. And yes, sometimes it made him very, very popular with sinners because he was a man seeking the popularity of the Father. He was full of graciousness and kindness. But Jesus never sought the popularity of sinners. He was a very, very faithful guide in what integrity looks like. And of course, it's very, very clear from these two examples that that popularity or that (laughs) integrity was not the path to popularity. It did not guarantee their popularity. In fact, quite the opposite. That's why 1 Peter says that that do not be surprised. Don't be surprised when, when people hate you. Be prepared. Isn't it better that you would suffer for doing good? Jesus said, blessed are you Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, revile you, persecute you, all for me, such they did to the prophets before you. And so God may, may God make us willing, surrendering to him, trusting in him in all things. And God may God make us, even in the context in which we live, the many different cultural sensitivities that we face, all of the different changes that are going on in the world, all of the eruptions that are going on and all of our behavior changes and the things that are sometimes enforced upon us, may God give us a way, a path, a guide. And may this be the same about us. May this be true of all of us, that the integrity of the upright guides us. Would you please pray with me? A gracious God, uh, Lord, we are needy people. I pray that, that you would help us. We deliberately, self-consciously ask, Lord, for your blessing, that your favor would rest upon us in these things, that we would know your path because there is something that we are saturated in, and that is the gospel truth of our identity. 
So give us wisdom in all of the paths that we take, I pray. In Jesus' name.